Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across this Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning with Lyle and Minnie, Minnie. who is taking a big <laughs> stretch and a yawn and getting ready to go. Minnie, are you ready to go? Look, I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. I am. You know what? My body, I think my body's just at the point it's just like, I'm done. I mean, like yesterday, I had a five, I've been five and a half hour sleep in the afternoon, woke up for two hours and then went back to sleep. Like, and I could have, I could have just stayed sleeping. I was like, no, I I have to, like, I actually have to work on this assignment. But yeah, like two hours in, I was like, no, I have to sleep. (laughs) So yeah, it's not, it's not just daylight saving. This is is only, I I was not, I was going to say. No, nah, I'm normally never this bad. <laughs> this what just, have you been doing? Is this a, uh, a week of um, oh, just hard hard no. partying? Isn't it? this is the hard party life <laughs> that Minnie lives? I know, I know how this goes. But it has nothing to do with being around people. Now, I, I just, I'm someone that when I, <laughs> when I'm stressed, I don't sleep. Right. And also, when you're stressed, it's like there's an emotional element of energy you're using. Yes. And so, yeah, I think my body just gets to the point of just being like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm done. Well, that's good. I'm not it's, listening it's, it's actually a um, it's actually a circuit breaker, is what it it's is. It's actually probably healthy. It is. It is. And, and basically, what happens is your circuit breaker is just going flick. Yes. The problem is, it. and if your circuit breaker did not flick, imagine what would happen to you emotionally and physically. Oh, I will absolutely. So when I was growing up, my mum had quite severe chronic fatigue, mm-hmm. and she used to tell me she was like, I she got really sick. There was a whole bunch of factors that kind of happened, and she goes, I just kept not listening to my body. And the reason, one of the reasons she thinks she came down with it so hard was because she's like, my body just, she didn't listen. It was exactly that thing. And then she just kept going. And then her body was like, no, we are done, done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, these are built into us and we can thank God for them. Yes. God is so good. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right. So, uh, Minnie. Good news. We didn't we, have it yesterday. Did, we right. talked too long about daylight saving. We, we fought each other tooth and nail. <laughs> and I think yesterday. we both left. I won. Like, I'm, no, you did not. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Delusion. <laughs> I won. No. no. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> okay. Well, good news stories today. Um, so I actually thought this was a really cool story. Uh, before lockdown began um, this year, in yes. March, pretty much around the world, um, in Washington, there's a man who, I, they didn't really say his age, he's over 75. That's what we know. He's he's probably in his late 70s, early 80s. Um, Ron Jacobson. And he had volunteered over 900 hours just during the 2019 to 2020 year alone. So their summer starts. That's a decent amount of that's hours. That's a solid amount, yeah. So when does it start? Like September? No, August or something? So August to March, or however long, yes, that period he done over nine hundred that year alone. Um, so at this one primary school, he's known as Grandpa Ron. Like he's just for years given his time there. Um, but um, because COVID happened and a lot of schools were going, people can't just come in. Um, even in Australia, like here, I can't just go in. I mean, I guess he's got a relationship there, but I can't go in and go, hey, can I do some volunteering? Just because the legislation is still what it is. Um, and it wasn't until it all locked down that he realized his impact. Um, and it was because so many parents called in to complain about the rules that they were like, no, this is dumb. And heaps and heaps of the students went, no, we, we need to keep in contact with him. So a bunch of the students began writing him emails and letters. Um, they asked if they could have his contact details, of course. Um, 
They visited him at his home. They like walked his dog. Like they've just gone and spent time with him. He responds to each of his many pen pals every day. Um, and not, and it's not only been for the benefit of the school staff, um, and parents, but, uh, what does it say? Um, but even having this regular, um, correspondence with the kids, they've noticed have changed their attitudes, uh-huh. which actually makes a lot of sense to me. Like you're having someone who's intentionally taking time to write, like, I mean, how exciting is it to get a letter in the mail from someone you think is great? Or just a letter in the mail. That's not a bill. <laughs> like, I think it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, so he was in the Marine Corps for a long time when he was growing up. And he said the two things that taught him um, are to complete the mission and take care of the troops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he just said that this is a different sort of troops that he's looking after, but it's just really important. And this story, one of the reasons I thought it was really cool is partly because I'm just like, well, like, well done you. Go Ron. Absolutely, yeah. Go Grandpa Ron. Um, when I was growing up, I was like a late teenager probably, and I had been going to a church. I kind of didn't go anywhere for a little while, and then I started going to this other one in the town, and there was a lady there, and we just all knew, we knew her name, but she, her name was Mavis, but we all knew her as the hug lady. Because when you came in, she gave every single person a hug. Yes. Didn't matter how old, how young, what age, what background, what gender, what anything. If you were there, you were getting a hug. And she'd, she, she'd be suffering this year. Okay, and well, she actually she died a few years ago, oh. which was very sad. But no, but this was the thing. She made a comment, I think it was to my mum or grandma. She was like, I just have nothing to offer. Like, I just don't have any ministry at this church. I can't do anything. She had a list, a personal list of names, not from the church role, not from anything, of just every single person she'd met that she wrote down. And if you weren't there for a certain number of weeks, when you were back again, she could simultaneously be like, oh, we've missed you so much and where have you been? You know, and you just knew that you were loved. And I had that across the road, uh-huh, there was uh-huh. a skate park. Yes. And I had a couple of friends at school who were skaters and my school was like about five minutes down the road. So often my friends would be at, at the skate park. And I remember once I, I caught them over, they came in, we had lunch and yep, she gives them all a hug. And these were all, I don't know, 17-year-old boys. And they were like, we don't go to church. Who's this old lady? We <laughs> get hugged by this old lady. But they thought, they were like, wow, she's really lovely. Like it's weird. It's definitely weird. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, at her funeral when she died this however many years ago, there was a whole bunch of particularly teenagers who were like, how will we ever go back if she's not there? And it was just, it was sad to me when I heard that she had really believed that she had no ministry because I was like, you have don't need major no. ministry. Yep. As one of the most valuable ministries you can have in a church. Huge. When I when I had a church plant down in Sydney, mm. I had uh, a guy that came to the church who was just legendary for bear hugs. He was he was <laughs> he was just this this big kind of guy who just had this massive fart smile on his face, and every got a, everyone got a bear hug, and. At the uh, nominating committee, which is kind of where we, uh, within our church system, that's where we create all of the official church offices and positions. Mm-hmm. I created an official position for him as yes. the giver of bear hugs just because, you know, he would just stand at the door and that was his job. Mm-hmm. It was just like stand at the door, greet everybody with a massive bear hug and a huge smile, and it just added such a positive atmosphere to that church. It does. It does. It's such a simple thing. Yep, absolutely. And now we're doing these stupid elbow bumps. You know why that's silly? Because I also tell you to, like, cough into your elbow. (laughs) I'm like, that makes even less sense. There's there's, there's (laughs) kind of nothing we can do for physical contact, but human beings were designed to have physical contact. Yes. And there's a reason why... And we'll probably talk about this in a little while if we get a chance. There's a reason why that Josh Frydenberg just handed down the budget and in that budget doubled the amount of 
uh, subsidised um, counselling therapy sessions that you can get per year. Oh. It's because as human beings, we are suffering yes. as a result of less physical contact. Absolutely. And we are suffering emotionally from it. Mm, mm-hmm. It's... It's it's that's no insignificant ministry whatsoever at all. I'm I'm super stoked about uh, yeah, hearing your story and 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 that lady. What a, what an amazing ministry right there. Mm-hmm. You know, every church when it's, it's like with anything, it is judged. You judge a church by your first impressions. You do absolutely. Yeah. And when your first impressions is a big smile and a big bear hug, you know, provided you you know, there's there's a few people out there that are sort of a little bit mm. iffy, but yeah, ninety nine percent of people. A uh, big smile, a hug, you know, that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. You just feel welcome. Yeah. And I actually, I've met a couple, and look, I know that not everyone is super physical, like they, some people aren't huggers, but I know a bunch of friends who, even though they're not, they're like, but I do feel welcome. I do feel You know, wanted. I'm not a great hugger myself. I know. <laughs> but I appreciate it and I feel welcome for it. Mm. And uh my friend that was at that church in Sydney who was the official giver of bear hugs, yeah. uh, you know, that was, that was his, his job title, uh, he stopped in and saw me like a week ago. Mm, cool. Yeah. And big old bear hug? Big old bear <laughs> hug. I'm like, you know, COVID rules out the window just for this once because, you know, I hadn't seen him for like eight years. Aye, yeah. And uh, he stopped by with his family to say hello. He didn't even have a family last time when I knew him, you know, and now he's got family and he's got kids wow. and all that kind of stuff and – um, it was just amazing uh, opportunity to catch up right there. It is amazing. But, yeah, I'm not a huge giver of hugs. I'm not, a, I'm not a huggy person, but I do appreciate it and I actually love it. Yeah, because we need it. On some we level, we do need it. Absolutely. Yeah. We do. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, interesting happenings in the uh, – I've been – sorry, I'm no. j- jumping in here to the uh, – I'm, serious, I'm yeah. just like <laughs> – religious liberty stories are ones that sort of always attract my attention and uh, – this is taking place in the United States. Of course, the most uh, powerful level of the government in the United States is the Supreme Court. Mm. Uh, far more powerful than either the President or you know um, Congress, Senate, etc. Uh, the Supreme Court are the ones who get to um, define the law. Mm. So the other people make the law; they are the ones who. Uh, define the law. And so two of those justices, Supreme Court justices, um, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, just made a statement in relationship to the Kim Davis case. Now, the Kim Davis case, some of you may remember it. She was from Kentucky, uh, took place back in 2015 uh, when same-sex marriage came through. She refused to sign marriage licences uh, she was the county clerk. She refused to sign marriage licenses of same-sex couples based on her religious conviction. She's like, this is against my religious conviction. Mm. And so she was jailed for it. Oh, hey. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the the Supreme Court at that time refused to hear the case. Uh, and there were a number of very prominent po- politicians, uh, Mike Huckabee, um, Tim Tim Cruz, it's, uh, was it Tim Cruz, et cetera. But, yeah, a number of very, very prominent, you know, Politicians, presidential candidates, etc., who just came out straight out and said she's been in prison for her faith. This is the for her faith. Mm-hmm. This is the criminalization of of Christianity that is taking place in our country, and they saw it for what it was. And so, yeah, these two justices have come out and they've talked about the right to religious liberty versus the right to same sex marriage. Ooh, interesting. And they've because the 
the work of the Supreme Court is to is to um, in, interpret the Constitution. Mm. And so they've asked the question, is there a right to same-sex marriage within the Constitution? Now, the rights provided by the Constitution can come from two different, two different ways. One, they can come from what the Constitution says. So the Supreme Court justices can judge the law based on what the Constitution says. Uh, another way, another method that the Supreme Court in the United States has used to judge in the past has to has been to judge the law based on the intent of mm. the law. So if you understand, okay, why did they actually make this law and how do we p- apply it now? And they've pointed out that in there's nothing in the in the Constitution that says there's nothing in the wording that says that there is a right to same sex marriage. Mm. Neither is there anything in the intent. So if you look at the founding fathers of the United States who wrote the Constitution, when they wrote the Constitution, there was none of them that were intending to make a right for same-sex marriage. Oh, right, right. I see what you're saying. Mm. So there's nothing in the wording that creates a right for it. There's nothing in the intent that creates a right for it. And we know that, you know, that's obvious from culturally from the 1700s. That would never be the intent. Uh, and so they've said, well, you know, is there then a right to religious liberty? Well, that's kind of foundational. That's the First Amendment. That's in of, there, isn't it? Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's <laughs> the foundation on which the entire Constitution is built. Right, right. That's where it starts. The first line of the First Amendment, you know, it just goes straight in. That's, that's you know, mm. that's central to it. And so they're questioning, you know, why was it that the Supreme Court threw this out and wouldn't pass judgment on it? Uh, back in 2015. Now, that does not mean that, you know, it's ever going to come back to the Supreme Court, but it does show some interesting perspectives, particularly as the Supreme Court moves further to the right um, with um, Amy Coney uh, Barrett being nominated. Uh, We've yet to see that one go through. Um, Yeah, anyway, so that's... That's uh, that's an interesting movement taking place in the United States. What, um, what were the? Sorry, I don't really know anything about this story. What happened? Did she stay in jail long? Like, was it just like an overnighter? Like, what happened to her work when she, like, how did this actually affect? She reached an out of court compromise. Okay, which means what? She had She's to sign no longer in jail. Okay, uh, and it created a bit of a a, a workaround kind of yeah right. compromise kind of situation. Okay, right. Yeah. But basically, what the Supreme Court justice is saying is that you know this is uh, um, making religious adherents uh-huh. legally they're bigots just before, just because of their religion, mm. and that's not religious liberty. Mm. So interesting, interesting movements right there at the moment. If you, you know, the, the reality is, if you're going to have religious liberty, you've got to have religious liberty. Yeah, you're you not, you're not. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't go anywhere in between. And there is going to be a cost. Mm. Either which way you go, there is going to be a cost. Um, associated with these kinds of uh, situations. Do you think you can have both freedom and peace? Like as in in our world, not an idealistic No, world. there's no such thing as, yeah. a, as in, in, in a world that is run by human beings, there's no such thing as a perfect legal mm. system. Mm. It just doesn't exist, never will exist. Yeah, yeah. You can have better and you can have worse, uh, but there's no such thing as a, as a perfect system mm. because they're all run by human beings. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you look at the American <laughs> system, you look at the Australian system, they're two of the best systems. You know, I probably say that because I've lived in both of those countries. Mm. 
and they've got some great history to back them up, but they are imperfect systems. Mm, absolutely. And everything is going to involve a compromise somewhere along the line. Okay, so this is an interesting story. A new law signed by um, a bit of American theme this morning uh, <laughs> by the governor of California uh, that has made all public boards must have one of the following. So all public boards, like companies, uh-huh. have to have uh, somebody who's black or Latino or Asian or Pacific Islander or Native American or Native Hawaiian or Native Alaskan or gay or lesbian or bi or trans. So this is about the same outcomes, equal outcomes. Yes, yeah, so we talked yeah. about this earlier, equality yes. of outcome versus equality of opportunity. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I guess the, the loophole in this is they don't actually have to have any of these. Huh? But they do have to at least have someone who identifies as one. So if you want to find a loophole, you just look around your boardroom and say, okay, who wants to identify as such and such? Yep, I'll identify as that. Problem solved. That's, that just, it seems interesting. These are to ridiculous me, laws. Whole, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, really? Yeah, I just, I don't know about how I feel about that. <laughs> Actually, I do. I do. I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Really, what it is is a sign of the times when you see just craziness taking over our world. Mm. Um, but I mean, if you're going to say that, if you're going to say you must have one of these, you could still argue the point. Well, the fact that you don't have all of them means you're being prejudiced against. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they're going to say you must have at least, da, 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 <laughs> I could argue. Well, you have one of them, but not one of me. Do you know what I mean? You start yes. creating all these other <laughs> problems. The, the list of problems just goes on and on and on with this one. Um, okay, so just to, to summarise here, if you've got four to nine uh, directors, you must have a minimum of two. Nine plus, you have to have a minimum of three from this particular list. Right, right. Okay, and they've brought out that research has shown that diverse boards are more productive. I have no argument yeah, with that. Yeah, that makes sense, of course. In a capitalist society, you're going to have want to have a productive board, and so if it is demonstrated that a diverse board is more productive and you want to compete, then you're going to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how capitalism works. Capitalism is incredibly blind to all kinds of – to anything but skill. Mm. And if you don't have skill on your board, then you get taken over by somebody who does. Yes. You know, it's as simple as that. But basically what, when, you, when you create equality of outcome rather than equality of opportunity, what it creates is a race to the bottom and it creates mm. racism. Mm. Because if you think about it, when people uh, get jobs – you know, that they're not qualified for, that's never good. And then what it does is it reinforces in people's minds that people of a certain uh, race or um, identity Can't really do it. are less qualified yeah, yeah, yeah. and are dumber. Yeah, so it's just perpetuating a stereotype. It perpetuates a stereotype. It mm. it, absolutely it does. Okay, um, <clears throat> so unqualified people get jobs that, and they're destroyed because it destroys themselves. They get they, they, their self esteem drops because they're not qualified to do it. It creates discrimination against qualified people based on their skin color. You know that's that's racism right there. Um, it destroys uh, meritocracy. So rather than the per- the best person for the job getting the job, they get it because of you know their race or their sex or whatever it is, whatever else it is. Um, it reinforces racial division because it states the fact that there are races. Mm. We should be getting past that. Yeah, we, we should be worse, looking at eh? people as people mm. rather than as different races. Um, and it reinforces stereotypes that um, you know certain races or people or groups or whatever are less qualified. So you know this is this is this is a law that has been made to solve a problem 
and it's creating a whole lot more problems than what it's solving. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, for those of you who are listening to the live show, today is Wednesday. And as you know, every Wednesday, David Haupt joins us to talk about emotional health. David, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lyle, and good morning to your listeners. David, I have a very, very interesting question that I'd like to ask this morning, and that is in relationship to um, an emotional disorder. How does a person find out that they have an emotional disorder? Is it because they're able to self-diagnose in some way or is it uh, because somebody tells them and they're like, yeah, I must be the case? Do people, when they're told, I think you have an emotional disorder, do they react well or do they react badly? And if I suspect that is the case, how do I actually... What, what, what would prompt me to actually ask the question, is there something wrong here? That is uh, quite a mouthful. Yeah, sorry, I asked like 10 uh, questions at once, didn't I? <laughs> um, and some of those are very correct. We, we so often find out that, you know, there's something wrong as we see other people trying to adjust to us. Um, and uh, th- th- there's some relational problems often, you know, coming to the fore. But the safest way uh, is really to to get professional help. Go and see your medical doctor to help you to identify with mental health uh, issues. Um, far too often, we try to do self-diagnosis as well as self-medication. Uh, and two of the most common things that people use is alcohol and, and drugs to, to try and self-medicate. And what we know today, and we've spoken a few times about this uh, over your program, is that it actually deepens the, the, the mental disorder uh, that, that people have. So instead of relieving it, it actually exacerbates it. Is there something about a mental disorder that is... Uh, self-destructive in that it drives us towards those things that would actually make it worse rather than driving it towards those things that make it better? Look, uh, let's start off by saying that uh, coming to the point where I'm diagnosed, uh, none of us want that because there's still today in the modern age in which we live a, a major stigmatization. So we hide it. We, we try to keep it away. We try to keep it away even from ourselves. We lie to ourselves in order not to be able to say, um, you know, that I'm really battling. And therefore, uh, the problem actually becomes worse. Now, your radio station is a Christian radio station. So I'm going to put a slant here on, on your question and ask this question. Is it possible that Christians can face uh, a similar problem and because they're Christians feel that they cannot be positively diagnosed and therefore hide it to the level where it becomes more destructive? Ooh, that's, that's an interesting question. Because what's, what's the research show, show there? It, it is interesting that Christians so often feel that as a Christian, I will never be able to deal, I will never deal with uh, those kind of problems. In other words, if I have a mental disorder, it means that it's a sin issue in my life. I'd like to, um, for your listeners' sake, just 
refer you to Psalm 69, a man that God calls a man after God's own heart. This is what he says in Psalm 69, uh, latter part of verse 13 and 14 and onwards to verse 16. He pleads and he says, hear me. In other words, he's pleading that God will will hear him. He says in verse 14, deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. He's experiencing a sense that things are running out of control in his life. Let me be delivered from those who hate me. He's got relational challenges. And out of the deep waters, let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Those words, let the pit shut not its mouth on me, is very descriptive of people that live with the most common mental disorder, namely depression. And then he, he pleads further, verse 16, he says, Hear me, O Lord, for of your loving kindness is good. Turn to me. And listen to verse 17, he says, And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. In other words, a Christian feels as if God has turned his face away from him. As a Christian, so often when we go into a mental disorder, we battle, uh, we, we know that God is out there, but we don't experience it. We cry out to him, but it feels as though he doesn't hear. And we eventually feel that even our prayers just hit the ceiling and bounces back. And the words that it's translated here in the English language as for I am in trouble actually means I'm battling to breathe, which is anxiety neurosis. Um, in other words, King David, the author of this psalm, is suffering with not just depression, but also with anxiety, the two most common mental disorders that we are battling with today. It sounds like he's having a, he's going through a panic attack at the very least here. Um, he is. You, know, you talk about struggling to breathe and those kind of things. Exactly. Very typical of a panic attack. Uh, and, you know, I, I turn back to Psalm 40, Lyle, uh, where, and, and I would like to suggest just based on what he describes here, uh, where he pleads with God versus now what I'm going to read, that David actually comes out of that mental disorder. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. He heard my cry. Remember Psalm 69, he was pleading that God would hear his cry. And then verse 2, he says, he brought me up out of that horrible pit and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to God. We cannot sing in the shower when we're battling with a mental disorder. But King David eventually rises out of that. And I want to say to you, to your listeners that there is hope. One of the key things, though, is that it needs to be correctly diagnosed in order to get help. So this is a really interesting contrast that's just coming to my mind when you compare the first two kings of Israel. Saul also had a mental disorder. He, he also suffered from depression, particularly towards the end of his life. Uh, he ended his life by committing suicide. Uh, he, you know, he, he dabbled in spiritualism. He was oppressed by demons. There was all kinds of things going on in his life as well. You've got David here struggling with depression and anxiety and panic attacks, which are so common. 
but you've got two very different men in the way that they respond to God. And I would like to suggest that the difference between the two men is where their focus is during the time of anxiety and depression, where Saul focused on a more self-medication using purely music as as a form of, of, and and indulging himself as a form of self-medication, while David focused his attention on rebuilding his relationship with God. Because mental disorder does place our relationship with God at a major strain, not from God's side, but from our side. But what we see is that David actually focuses on trusting God. In other words, not trusting his feelings, but saying, in spite of my feelings, I know God is out there, and therefore I'm going to keep on calling out, keep on searching his face. Would it be true to say that in Saul's case, you know, music is not a bad thing, it was just it was only part of the equation because, I mean, David obviously is writing the Psalms, which is music as well. Um, but David is going further than just music. He's, you know, just playing with his hand on the harp. He's actually writing the words. He's communicating with God. He's entering into a relationship with God. Is David going a step further than what Saul went? Very much so. Um, what what music and the kind of music, and you and I touched on it a, a few weeks ago, uh, music plays a major role, but it has to be the kind of mu- different kind of music that we play. And it actually the right kind of music, music and putting meaning to the, 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 the music in terms of words, the lyrics, actually reactivates the frontal lobe of King David's mind and and in so doing uh, helps him to activate and um, get the depression away. Um, it's interesting that research shows in a PET scan that people battling with depression has 30 to 40% less blood flow and activity in the frontal lobe of the brain. Mm. In other words, depression shuts down our frontal lobe of the brain. And uh, a lot of music that's played on MTV and Rage and those kind of uh, TV uh, programs actually shuts down further our frontal lobe of our brain. Alcohol, drugs shuts down the frontal lobe of the brain. But the music that David composes actually reactivates, opens up that brain so that he can be in more communication with God. Is there something significant here in that? David is actually putting pen to paper. He's journaling his, his what he's going through. He's being very raw and vulnerable and real. Uh, he's not holding back in the Psalms here. He's like, just this is how it is. And, of course, we lose some of the poetry when it's translated into English, but um, he's, he's writing it poetically. Is this something that is going to be of benefit for somebody who's struggling with anxiety and depression? Very much so. Journaling has been identified as one component of helping people to to process their mental disorder. But it is not just pure journaling by itself. 
Uh, because I can journal myself into a state of depression by just zooming in on the negative. But what you notice that David is doing, he mentioned, he states the fact of, of his mental disorder, where he is, and then he balances it constantly out with uh, the truth about where God is. He says, uh, Lord, turn to me. In other words, he's experiencing uh, that God is not there, God is not hearing him, but then he balances it out with the truth that God is always trustworthy. God is, in spite of his emotions, in other words, God is still stable, able to guide and lead in his life. When we look at the uh, the stigma that is attached to mental illness, and we and and you know particularly within Christianity and so forth. And we see men like David struggling with mental illness, struggling with depression, anxiety. We see other great men. Another one that comes to my mind is the Apostle Thomas, um, terribly depressed and yet carried the gospel further and possibly had more converts than the Apostle Paul did uh, Mm. when you actually look at what he accomplished. Do you think that God is sending us a very specific message by including these men in the Bible and by actually choosing them because both Thomas and David were handpicked by God. And he obviously, and God knows the issues that these guys have. Lord, I've, I've previously spoken about this. I carry a belief, and that is that God does not protect or hold his own people from going through major trials in their life. But those trials are an actual fact if we trust him are uh, shaping us to be far better equipped to help other people. In other words, Thomas, his, his, his name uh, in, in the Greek Didymus means twin. The Bible never introduced us to his twin. Why would he? Why would he introduce us to ourselves? Because aren't we also sometimes doubting? Oh, wow. And... Uh, uh, I would like to suggest to your listeners that if we would come to the point in our life, instead of pointing the finger at others, rather trusting God with the pain of our lives, even our mental struggle, because all of us get stuck sometime. That is what uh, mental disorder is, being stuck. Um, really, if we would trust him, we can, in actual fact, as he lifts us out, be able to be more instrumental to help other people than when we've never experienced it in our life before. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We always appreciate what you've got to share on emotional health. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.